Welcome to the Pit Box Podcast. I'm John Satori. Probably one of the coldest Grand Prix ever at the Nürburgring last weekend, but a red-hot Lewis Hamilton who took yet another win this year. And, of course, historic and rather appropriate that he equaled the great Michael Schumacher's record at Michael's home circuit. Of course, Michael grew up just up the road in Kirpen. A lovely touch as well, don't you think? Mick Schumacher handing Lewis an old helmet of Michael's on the podium. Class. Uh, James Underhay is going to review all the action and the talking points. Also, chatting with someone who's probably got one of the best jobs going around, particularly if you're a McLaren fan. He tours people around the incredible McLaren technology set and knows the place like the back of his hand. Gets to spend plenty of time milling around the iconic cars on the boulevard as well as talking to the greats who've driven them. He gets to meet a few famous people too. We're going to have a chat with him. His name is Chris Lawton. Coming up on the Pitbox Podcast. Right, it was the Eiffel Grand Prix, the first time we have been back at the Nürburgring since 2013. Only three pole sitters in the past 18 years have actually won the Eiffel Grand Prix, or as it used to be, the German or European Grand Prix. Uh, and uh, that statistic didn't get any better, unfortunately, because the man on pole, Valtteri Bottas, ended up, uh, well, not even not on the top step, but he didn't even end up finishing the race. It was Lewis Hamilton who, in the end, was able to equal the great Michael Schumacher's race win record. Uh, to go into the race and a few more details about it, once again, joined by James Underhay. Jimbo, it was um, it was a pretty decent old race, and it uh, had lots going on, didn't it? There was a safety car in there, and of course, uh, it was a great result for Lewis Hamilton, and, and quite appropriate that he won or equaled that record of Michael Schumacher's at that circuit. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a good race. It lived up to uh, expectation for sure. Um, you know, going back to uh, last week, I really felt that there was going to be some, some you know, real exciting moments in the race. And I think uh, it certainly delivered from that point of view. Certainly, if you look at what happened on the first lap going into T1 specifically, yeah, that's right. And, and it was, you know, Bottas was holding on to it as long as he could. But of course, Hamilton just didn't give it up on the inside and eventually was able to get ahead of him. And, you know, they both sort of ran a little bit wider than what they would have liked. But uh, Bottas had an opportunity to get that back as well at one point. But of course, it was the uh, cruel hand of fate with his engine that uh, in the end saw him have to get a DNF next to his name. Yeah, you know, I think, John, to be honest with you, the race was, personally for me, I think the race was lost for Valtteri before that mechanical. Um, yeah, OK, he put a great move on Lewis in, in the first corner. And, and Lewis actually acknowledged that. Um, it's one thing to pick up on. I thought Lewis's comment around uh, that was quite interesting. The fact that he was like, OK, fair play, Valtteri. You know, that's a pretty ballsy move. But yeah, everything really transpired against Valtteri in the race. The, the safety car situation played massively into Lewis and, and Max Verstappen's hands. Um, you know, Valtteri was kind of having to, to pit at a time he probably wouldn't have wanted to following the massive lockup. He had some graining, I think, on the front tyres. So it, it just felt like this huge opportunity for him uh, and fate, you know, just just wasn't on his side on the day. Yeah, and of course, it's not just um, you know that he drops a small amount of points. You know, he drops a, a fair old wedge of them because there's no points at all for him. And of course, it really does look dire as far as any any title uh, hope is concerned. If if it wasn't already, yeah, um, I, I, I just don't see any way back, John. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, I think Valtteri's thoughts, you know, publicly will be that it's not over. Um, I saw a picture of him on Twitter today, working out in the gym, uh, suggesting that you know. It's not done until it's done. I'm going to keep pumping iron and keep doing what I need to do. But let, let's be 
let's be honest about it. Let's be frank about it. I, I think the chances really are now comfortably gone. Uh, Lewis is going to be feeling ultra confident about his position at the moment. I think with now what nearly a 70 point lead, I think 69 points or something. He has a lead over uh, Valtteri now. Yeah, that's it. It's um, I'm just going to get up exactly what it is. It's uh, what 230 to 161. So yeah, you know, it's uh, it'd take a lot of DNFs and, and it can't be just, Bottas taking the win and Lewis getting second or third. It's got to be a couple of DNFs really here from Lewis Hamilton from here on in if Bottas uh, would be able to have any sniff or even vague thought of getting back in this race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the fact that Mercedes had an issue full stop in the last race was a bit of a shock. Um, uh, With Valtteri's car, it just happened to be his, unfortunately, for the title race. Um, You know, Lewis, as we said before, Lewis doesn't make mistakes in races. He doesn't crash. He doesn't drop the car when he's leading comfortably. Um, so it's going to have to be catastrophic uh, in terms of the circumstances for Lewis, for, for Valtteri to get anywhere near back into the race. Um, you know, as I said, Lewis is going to be feeling very confident where he is at the moment. And the long and short of it is, is that, um, you know, uh, Valtteri is just a, a, another, I, I guess, um, well, for want of a more technical phrase, he's another hit on Lewis's list, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um uh, the other guy, well, you're talking about the timing of the safety car. The other guy who really benefited was Daniel Ricciardo because he was on used mediums. He'd come in uh, quite early to get off those soft compounds initially and went on to uh, the mediums. And if that safety car hadn't come out, I think Perez and even Carlos Sainz were a real chance to get ahead of him. So actually, Ricciardo lucked in a bit with that uh, the timing of that safety car as well. Yeah, massively. And, um, you know, I, I can't can't stress how I think uh, enough really how important it was really for Danny to get that podium as well mm. because he's been he's been there or thereabouts the last few races he's put some some brilliant performances in we all know how good he is um, I'm sure you're a big fan yep. uh, hailing from his uh, yeah. from his part of the world and and I am too you know Danny's got a lot of big fans out there for good reason um, yeah great performance took advantage of the opportunity when he when he could, uh, and even you know, with the pressure he had in that kind of sprint after the final safety car, uh, the back end of the race there, where he was getting put under pressure from Checo, um, you know, he did the business, and uh, I, for one, am very happy for him for sure because Renault have been knocking on the door for a little while now. I think that development that they put into that car is is starting to really show now, and um, yeah, it was great to see Danny up on the podium again. Yeah, it was just it was funny because at the time I did say on our little slipstream show uh, that I didn't see. The shoey, and I thought, hold on, did he not do it for some reason? Um, but it ended up being he'd just forgotten to do it. Uh, but he did, I think, do one privately and stick it on Instagram later on. But Checo Perez, he had another good race, considering that again, you know, he's been under a fair amount of pressure. Um, uh, he ended up fourth. Carlos Sainz was fifth. Uh, what were the other standouts as far as you were concerned? Well, there's one really obvious one, I think, um, and that is Nico Hulkenberg. Um, He's been a subject of conversation, obviously, for, for some weeks now because of what's been going on with uh, Racing Point. Obviously, first with Checo getting uh, a positive test and having to sit out Silverstone. Um, uh, and then Lance, uh, well, we won't go into the detail around Lance's uh, 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 physical problems this weekend, uh, despite his team openly discussing it. He um, <laughs> he obviously wasn't in a great place. Um, now, the, the whole situation, he started from 20th on the grid. He was the highest climber in the race. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was three three places off the start line, by the way, just to interject for yeah. a second. 
just an absolute rocket of a start. Uh, and, and then, you know, the highest climber throughout the field on the day. Um, I think he was voted through the F1, uh, you know, driver of the day vote. I think he was voted a driver of the day. And if he wasn't, he certainly shouldn't, should have been. Um, you know, he's got to be feeling fairly confident now about next year because there's been a lot of chat about you know, where he could potentially fit in, whether he'd want to take a drive at the back of the grid. But it's transpired that uh, Red Bull were mm. considering having a conversation with him, whether they had or not already, about getting in the car uh, should Alex Albon not be able to race this weekend um, because of a false, I think there was a, a, a false negative, yeah. uh, you know, something happened with a, with a test or false positive, should I say, sorry. Um, and it so happened that, that that turned out to be not necessary in the end. So he ended up jumping in Lance Stroll's seat. But now, what does that look like for Alex Albon next year? Because, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Marco, who we are, more than aware of the fact that he's not exactly uh, uncomfortable in stating his views on things. Um, you know, he's he's mentioned something in the press in the last day now that uh, they are considering or Hulkenberg is an option for them for that seat alongside Max next year. Yeah, I mean, there was still in qualifying, it was half a second uh, difference between Max Verstappen and Albon. Okay, it was only third back to fifth, but still half a second is half a second. And, and it's not many times, if at all, I'm just trying to recall how often Albon has been closer than that in qualifying. I mean, Max really does show him up. And it wasn't so bad last year, obviously, but this year there's just he's just not quite fitting in there. But it would be interesting to see Hulkenberg in there, and I can understand why they'd want to do that. I think we've talked about this before, about having two-point scoring drivers. And when mm. and if they're in a, a position to challenge Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship, that's where they're going to need that second driver to be consistently getting points. And at the moment, Alexander Albon's not doing that. No, exactly. He's too yo-yo, isn't he? Mm. He's, he's just, you know, one minute he's putting in a great lap or a great move on someone. The next minute, he's just a million miles away from the pace he needs to be. And you know what? We, we've talked about the pressure on these young drivers. You get that one shot and you really, really need to, to take it. I do feel for him a little bit because he just seems like such a nice guy. But the reality is, uh, it, you know, performances and results talk and being a, being a nice guy ultimately is not a relevance in this sport. So, um, yeah, I can see that pressure as it builds now. It's only going to get greater on his shoulders and how he handles that will ultimately dictate whether he has a seat next year or not uh, at Red Bull. Um, I don't think it's the end of his Formula One journey for sure. I mean, he could uh, potentially end up somewhere else in the field, but. Right now, um, chances of him being in that seat next year, I think they're getting slimmer by the day, John. Yep, very true. And, of course, when we look across to the Constructors' Championship, um, Mercedes are, are miles ahead, Aston Martin's second. And the movement was, once again, in that midfield between Racing Point and McLaren, uh, now four points ahead in third of Racing Point. McLaren back down to fourth with 116. And just two points shy, uh, Renault on 114. Now, we talk about two drivers scoring points. Renault will be ruining the fact that Esteban Ocon had a real good uh, position, a real good opportunity and position off the line and unfortunately wasn't able to make that count either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would have been an incredible result for them if he could have got some points, uh, for sure. And yeah, it's really heating up in that midfield battle now, as you say, that it's so tightly packed now in terms of the points. Um, you know, McLaren had a similar a similar issue in the fact that Lando obviously didn't finish either. Um, you know, they could have stuck some decent points on the board as well. Um, mm. But it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because they all seem very, very balanced in terms of performance at the moment. And it's kind of just a, a lottery as to who gets the result on the day. Yeah. And Ocon was, and just to, for reference, Ocon was within a tenth of a second 
of Daniel Ricciardo qualifying-wise on the Saturday. So he'd, he'd, um, he'd, he'd done a really good job. And, of course, the uh, the thing with McLaren was that I certainly know uh, that Carlos Sainz had all the new upgrades on his car, but, of course, with the Friday uh, sessions uh, being cancelled, they didn't get an opportunity to um, to really assess those and work out how to best use them. So he, again, uh, ended up, what, behind uh, in 10th position, uh, sorry, on the uh, on the grid, rather, uh, whereas Lando Nor- Norris was up in 8th. And there was about two, two and a half, tenths of a second difference but if you've got a car that isn't quite working properly and you've only had one 60 minute session to, to to assess the new components on it it's no great surprise but in the end you know he had a great race finally had a bit of luck and uh you know he hasn't had much of it this year and he ended up uh, in fifth position sure no i, I agree uh, they've really got to get under the skin of those upgrades because um they know that there's time in that car with those upgrades on it they absolutely know that so uh, mega result for carlos as you say a bit of luck coming his way this week which was good to see because um, you know, I don't think he's had the rub of the green this season. Um, uh, and, and, and for him, he'll know now that there's potential in that car. So this this midfield battle that's really heating up now, you're going to expect it to to come to a bit of a head in the next few races. And, and it could be really interesting to watch. Um, OK, so a final word and we go to Ferrari. Do, hmm. do, do, you, do you want a final word on that? I'm happy to. Look, I'm, I'm a balanced guy. I'm a balanced guy, John. I know you're going to beat me about. Look, let's talk about qualifying if you're going to talk about Ferrari. Yep, yep. Charles Leclerc's performance in qualifying. I mean, yeah. where did that come from? You know, we talked about Alexander Albon, okay, stuck at fifth, but Charles Leclerc should not be in front of that Red Bull in no. qualifying. He should not be anywhere near it. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performance. Um, Seb, obviously, again, yeah. Okay. Got into Q two, but uh, I just, I, I just feel that he's lost interest. I yeah. really do. Um, the race for him was quite interesting. Um, you know, put a couple of moves on a few people, but what? I, I kind of feel like Seb's in a situation where he's saying, "What's the point now? You know, I yeah. need to, I need to store my energy. There's no point in me getting bent out of shape and upset about poor results that I know are likely to continue when I have a new project to focus on. He's going to be thinking about next year now." Um, you know, uh, it, it's just he's a professional. Um, I don't think he will let that kind of um, uh, that that kind of view maybe come out to the public and the, the the wider audience of Formula One. But what is the point for him now? I, I'm pretty sure that behind the scenes they're probably not necessarily showing him everything now. They're probably not talking to him about as much as they normally would be. Would be similar situation to Checo at Racing Point. Yeah. Um, you know, just get it out of the way this season, and he can move on and and hopefully kind of restore some of his reputation from a driver point of view next year. Yeah, it's it's sad to say because he, I think I, I love Vettel's sense of humour. I think he's a great character, um, and he's just as you say not in a good headspace at the moment for whatever reason it is. And I can understand why why Ferrari have you know nailed their colours to the mask with Charles Leclerc because he's driving beyond his years, and you're going to see in many years to come you know Verstappen versus Leclerc, and probably versus the likes of Russell and Norris as well. Those. Those young names are, are going to be around in F1 and, and providing a lot of entertainment in the years to come. They are, and and that is tr- that is truly exciting. Is something obviously as, as Lewis ultimately is coming to kind of the not necessarily the twilight of his career in F1, but the reality is I think we know that he's not going to be around forever. Mm. Um, and, and to have that kind of level of talent in the sport right now, already performing comfortably beyond their their years, um, it, it totally justifies Ferrari's decision to to give. Charles, a, a big deal and a long deal. Um, and these performances he's putting in, ultimately, you know, it, it can't all be down to just Seb being in a bad mood and 
you know, Charles getting all the right parts, etc. The point being is that Charles has it. He has the ability to go on and become a world champion. And that with Max and, and Lando and George and all of these guys, obviously, that have that potential really, really spices things up for the years to come. Um, so, yeah, look, we can talk about Ferrari. I'm ha- very happy to. It's not a great situation at the moment. But you know what? There was light at the end of the tunnel with the uh, the Monegasque Prince uh, putting it on fourth in uh, in qualifying. Yeah, it was good to see, um, you know, and, and particularly because they haven't had the best of times of it late. Of course, the next race is somewhere where we haven't raced before. Um, and, of course, the one after that is Imola, where we have, but not since mm. 2006. But Portimao, that's going to be interesting. And, and, of course, we'll do a proper preview of that next week. But that's uh, looking like a, a real interesting race, particularly because we've no one's got any data. Pirelli have got no tyre data. No one's got nothing on it. So that's um, going to be a steep learning curve. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Um, I am massively excited about this circuit. For those who haven't seen cars run at this circuit, um, you've probably seen MotoGP there. I think it's MotoGP Go there or the World Superbikes. This circuit is undulating. It's fast. Um, you know, it's got that elevation change. I think it's going to be really incredible to see an F1 car, uh, uh, you know, with its downforce and the and the, the performance levels that an F1 car will bring to that circuit. Uh, you know, in quality, in quality trim in particular, it's going to be absolutely amazing to watch. Um, I'm super pumped about it. So I'm looking forward to our preview of the race. Yep. Uh, we'll do that next week, a little bit closer to the time. Uh, James, thank you very much. And of course, uh, at uh, Forza Jimbo is, uh, I think that's your Insta, isn't it? And what's your Twitter handle? It's at Jimbo... 2728. Read read into that what you will, Ferrari fans. (laughs) All right, mate. We'll catch up with you next week. Have a good week and uh, try and get through your weekend without any F1 this weekend. Right now, we're going to have a chat with a person who's probably got one of the best jobs, particularly if you're a McLaren fan in Formula One. He tours people around the McLaren Technology Centre. You may have seen him on Twitter. You've probably seen him interviewing a few people here and there as well. His name is Chris Lawton. Chris, um, mate, uh, great to have you on. Do you agree? One of the best jobs going around? John Boy. Do you know why? <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, but only when I'm working with you, my man. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Now, yeah, of course, Chris <laughs> and I have been working together for actually, what, 2013? First yes, time? So yes. seven I years. We knew each other beforehand, but... Uh... We've shared many a paddock club, many a racetrack together, haven't we, mate? We have indeed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, look, your your job, um, I mean, okay, paddock club, we'll get onto that in a second because you get to, you know, interview, uh, obviously, McLaren drivers and, and some big names as far as current Formula One drivers are concerned. But also, when you do your tours around the MTC, the McLaren Technology Centre, I mean, that must be a buzz. Just give us a little bit of an idea of, of what it is you do there. John, we've got to go back to um, late 2006, right? So I trained as an actor. Uh, I did a I did a BA in acting in Guildford, and uh, I got a call one day as as a jobbing actor. So you know you're, you're in work, you're out of work. I got a call one day from a drama school, and um, it was from our it was like the student coordinator, a, a lady called Julie Hawksfield, and she said, "Chris, I've got this got this gig." Um, and you might be interested. I know you like cars and, you know, you you like wearing a suit. So you want to go and check these guys out, these guys at McLaren. And when she said McLaren, my initial thought was, first off, the McLaren F1 road car 
And at that point, um, kind of in the mainstream automotive market was, or as in it was becoming very famous, was the Mercedes-Benz SLR McLaren. And I was a car guy. Still, I'm a car guy. But I was like, yeah, this this sounds great. What, what's the gig, Jilly? And she said, well, they're looking for actors to come in, learn a script and basically do tours. She said, it's like James Bond's lair. You want to you wanna check it out? Go for the audition. So, yeah, great. And that's what I did. And um, auditioned, got this, got this job as, as a tour host. And just, yeah, through a sequence of events throughout the years, uh, I managed to set up the company that I now own and run and work with great people like yourself and we Which is um, klh brand advocates klh brand advocates yeah we um we basically provide people now to to do the storytelling so whether whether you're having a tour whether you're at a motor show and there's product specialists there that tends to be us uh, a pit stop challenge presenters and compares anything which involves getting up getting in front of people and and telling a good story about a brilliant brand that's that's kind of what we do and because i've been a part of those pit stop challenges and and that's um yeah i mean that's great to be able to get people into the mtc and sort of give them a bit of experience of exactly what goes on when they do a pit stop for real yes mate yeah and i'll tell you what you're not too shabby are you you can i know you can string a sentence together but my <laughs> goodness you can change a formula one tire in no time john thank boy. you very much <laughs> too kind <laughs> So yeah, the, I mean the mainstay is yeah the mainstay is tours of of um, that incredible world class facility and yeah I've been lucky enough along the way to, so to who, look after. So who are the who are the people like? I mean you know throw some throw some names at me. I mean I, I, there's one I'm going to get to. I think you've got a decent story. I'm not sure whether or not you can tell it though. Um, uh, which is uh, the lead man for ACDC, Brian Johnson. But, oh, Brian Johnson, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not sure whether we quite <laughs> can tell that one. But some of the other names and the other you know people that you've been involved with and, and have been lucky enough to sort of meet on that, uh, you know, doing those those tours. Yeah, John, I mean, yeah, I'm not so sure we're allowed to swear on your show, but my goodness, <laughs> do you know what? We, we, yeah, I was looking after Brian Johnson and we... Um, it was for an episode of Cars That Rock, which is one of his... Uh, it's a show that he fronts. He's a huge, obviously, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a big music guy, um, but a, a car fanatic and very knowledgeable about cars as well. And uh, I'm just surprised his production crew managed to get any content because his language <laughs> is insane. And, you know, he'll, he'll walk into a room and he'll F and blind and curse. And the director says, okay, right, cut. Brian... You, you know we, we're not allowed to say that can, can we go again please and it's just constant retakes but uh what a joy to be around so much energy and um yeah so much knowledge and passion for for the automotive business unreal unreal and he's a geordie isn't he he's uh he's got a thick geordie accent i tell you what he doesn't forget his roots um he he actually had a he had a, a half smoked cigarette in his pocket roll roll up <laughs> So whenever he got two minutes, he'd take this this you know this dirty rolled cigarette out of his pocket. He'd run outside. He'd spark it up. He'd take two or three drags. He'd stub it out and he'd put it back in his pocket. But he's yeah, he's, he's quite he's, a, he's a he's a you know multi-millionaire and he's like keeping <laughs> keeping an old cigarette stub in his pocket. Why don't you mate just rip out another one? You know. Another one out of the pack. Oh God, he's crazy. Yeah, he um he, he describes. We, we I took him down on the production line of the McLaren production centre, and there was a there was a P1 on the line. Um, so it gives you an idea of kind of when we met. It was, it was 
six or seven years ago. And uh, he looked at the brakes, and they're these incredible carbon ceramic brakes. They've got this silicone carbide coating, incredible stopping power on the car. And he uh, he said, he, he walked up to it, he said, F me, <laughs> these are big enough to stop a bleeding pregnancy. And that was trying to, just, that was one of his more tame ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was a joy to be around him. It was a joy to be around him. He did a pit stop and all that sort of stuff as well. So yeah, it was great company. Did he still have his and black was, cap on? He did indeed. Didn't take it off. He didn't take it off. Uh, no, that's that's yeah, that's part of his brand, old uh, Brian Johnson. But now, mate, yeah, we've uh, yeah, we've we've looked after sports stars and we've looked after um, you know big Hollywood producers and actors, models, you name it, um, as well as fans, you know, and that's often. If I'm hosting a tour, I only ever really now, you know, I've probably probably done 3,000 tours of that place personally. Um, but the wider business is probably knocking 10,000 tours of McLaren, which is an incredible thing because it's, uh, you know, it's not open to the general public. So this is VIPs, this is partners, sponsors and prospects and, and now like road car customers. But I only ever, I've, I felt the most pressure I've ever felt on a hosting a tour was for Murray Walker, mm. uh, and you can obviously understand why, just mm-hmm. because you know he is the voice of Formula One, right? You, know, you you're a phenomenal commentator yourself, John. That's <laughs> how we work together. But this guy's just just a class act, and I thought I don't really know how to navigate this. So I said to myself, right, just 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 do it, just just do it. Maybe maybe you'll be able to teach him something. Maybe he'll just be polite and listen, or, or maybe you know this will just be a catastrophe but within within 30 seconds he made me feel so at ease and he was so engaged and he was listening to the stories and if he didn't know he would simply say i never knew that or if he did know he would he would he would just contribute and and we were talking about peter revson and we were talking about chris amon and we were talking about well arguably I would say probably my favorite Formula One driver to to be around and, and to, to do the sort of work that we do is, is Emerson Fittipaldi. Um, because to interview that guy from is just it's just a joy. He um he's from a bygone era, really, isn't he? He, he is and it's like it's like Murray Walker. They've got yeah. this incredible knack for recall. You speak to Emerson about something that happened in, you know, and he'll talk you through the British Grand Prix 1974 and he'll say, you know, lap 23, we were coming out of, I was coming out of cops and, you know, Clay's up front and he's getting a bit punchy and, and he, and he can just kind of reel off almost lap by lap what was happening and his battles with Clay Regazzoni and what corners he was in and he, and he remembers how the car felt and, Oh, it's just you could just, just yeah, just sit there and let them talk and just, just listen. Yeah, and of course, um, the, the the most recent one I know was was last weekend. Um, was the Eiffel Grand Prix was uh, Mika Hakkinen? Because um, <laughs> you've got a pretty good rapport with Mika as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he um, he's just uh, he, he's just what I love about Mika is is the sense of mischief. Now, I don't know whether that comes with no longer being in the sport, or whether he or whether he already had it, uh, but he's just, 
Uh, first and foremost, he's an utter professional. You know, if he's ever there in, a, in a, an ambassadorial capacity or if he's got any particular messaging that he has to deliver, he makes sure he's got his homework done. Who's who's in the room tonight? What do I need to say? How do I need like he just kind of has those boxes covered? But I'll tell you a story, and I can't give you too much detail, John. But um, <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of one of my best and most absurd <laughs> Formula One stories. I was hosting I was hosting in a suite um, in the Middle East, so I'll, that's as far that's as far as I'm going in terms of detail. <laughs> and it was a, it was a dry suite, so no alcohol, which of course obviously we're working, so. We don't drink anyway. Um, Mika was, of course not. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, till that five o'clock alarm chimes, and then we're we're in. We're in like sleep. John uh, boy. We watch. <laughs> and uh, Mika comes up to me on the Friday. So we've done our on-stage interview, and he was great, very charming. The audience loved him. And he said, oh, "I'm going to go for a beer." I said, "Well, that's that's a you, you're going to struggle there, Mika, because it's a dry suite." But what am I? What, why am I here? What am I doing here then? If, it's, if we can't have a beer, anyway, this was on a Friday. So Saturday, um, Saturday comes, and he come up to me, tap me on the shoulder. I was actually with guests, and he says, "Chris, uh, when you get five minutes, I, I need to need to see you in the kitchen." I said, "Okay, great, yeah, no problem." So I walk into the kitchen. This is in this is in a you know one of one of the, uh, the hospitality suites. He takes me through the kitchen into just before we get into a, someone else's suite, which incidentally wasn't a dry suite, and uh, we're kind of we're in this what can only be described as a, as a wall cavity. So I'm in I'm in between two VIP hospitality suites, in the middle of a wall, with a two-time Formula One world champion, and he's only got a bucket of Heineken. <laughs> All the ice, <laughs> and he's commonly with one of the waiting staff uh, with a bottle opener to sit and serve us drinks. So, and he was on, and he was on brand. He was completely on brand. <laughs> he's an utter pro. And I just thought, this is this is crazy. I'm sat here with Mika having a sneaky beer, um, and he's gone and done that all on his own. You know, just, just to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to help through the weekend, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, no, what a guy! What a guy! And uh, well, you 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 know you're there often. Yes. No. He, he and he's a great interview as well. And he's as you say, he's he's very forthcoming with information and his thoughts on you know current Formula One or the battles that he used to have with the likes of Michael Schumacher as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. He tells a great story. I I don't think I'll do it any justice, but it was his. I think it was his first ever Grand Prix. It was Brazil '93. Uh, do you remember that, John, when um, Senna's car got stuck in ah. sixth gear? Yeah, yeah. And uh, now you have to. <laughs> so Mika, uh, Mika's been lapped twice by uh, Senna. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now all of a sudden, Senna's got his Senna's car is stuck in sixth gear. So Mika now, f throughout the duration of the race, he's like, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out for this. You know, these guys are just incredible. And Ayrton Senna, you know, we know he's amazing, but this is just, you know, I've been lapped twice. And uh, anyway, Mika starts gaining on Senna. But he didn't know. Obviously, he's a very young Formula 1 driver. He didn't know that Senna's basically racing in one gear. <laughs> and he starts gaining on him. And he's saying to himself in the cockpit, yes, Mika, yes, you finally got it. You finally got it. You know how to do this Formula 1 stuff. And it wasn't. It was just the fact that, yeah, he was caught in six gear. <laughs> anyway. 
But it's amazing, it's amazing what gives you um, what gives you hope and encouragement, isn't it? Even if it's a little bit misguided at the time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's good. He looks back on that fondly. Um, and of course, modern Formula One drivers, the likes of you know Jensen Button um, and 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 Fernando Alonso, Lando currently at the moment, Carlos. Of course, we haven't done that this year because of what's happened with COVID. Um, but um, I mean, I remember when Fernando was first announced coming over to McLaren, we were filled with a little bit of dread about it because we'd heard um, his interviews with Ferrari in the previous years and yeah. thinking, oh, boy, you know, this this is going to be tough because we like to do a, a nice sort of um, informative and fun and, you know, engaging interview. And we'd never really heard that in the, in next door. Um, and I thought, you know, we both were like, this is, <laughs> this is going to be tough, but actually he's probably been one of the best, if not the best, hasn't he? I think from an audience point of view, John, he's, if, if you get it right with him, he's possibly the most engaging. Yeah. I would, I would say he's the most engaging driver I've ever interviewed. Hmm. Uh, but You've, yeah, you're right. Horror stories that that we heard, and yeah. and I I first started working in Formula One in 2007. He obviously he was a McLaren driver then. He was back to back world champion, um, and we all know how 2007 went. <laughs> uh, he, he he can be tricky. He can be spiky. But one thing about about Fernando is you can you can win him round. You, you yeah. can, but but it's genuine, and I remember, you know, the period, you know, the the more recent, you know, fifteen, sixteen, Honda era, you know, he's at Monza and he's just qualified, fifteenth, yeah. sixteenth, he's just got out of the car and in twenty minutes he's got to be upstairs in the paddock club, stood on stage in front of hundred and fifty guests, yeah. ah, he probably, you know, it's probably the last thing he wants to do, but he always rocked up. And and as a and he, as, as a former like two time world champion that you know that's a difficult thing as well because you're sitting there thinking I, I should be in something better than this and I should be getting better results than this and I've now got to go and sort of front up in that capacity yeah. upstairs. Yeah, yeah. I remember that particular occasion actually. It was Monza, and um, I said to him, "Do you know what? We're not even going to talk about Formula One." And he said, "Good." <laughs> yeah, I do remember that actually. We started talking about football, didn't we? Because he's a big Real Madrid fan. Yeah. And uh, we started talking about football, and um, you'd managed to uh, you'd managed to record. Oh yeah, we'd got footage of him in at the Monaco football match they play. He scored a banging free kick from the edge of the box, didn't he? That was it. Yeah, we put that on. He was his uh, his face lit up when he uh, when he saw that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and that's it. You know, he was in the room, wasn't he? And he yeah. was just he was just brilliant then. So, yeah, there, there are some drivers who just will not budge. But he was, I always found he was just one. He was, he was a complete pro. I mean, others, you may have people listen to this who say, nah, that's not my experience of him yeah. whatsoever. But I can genuinely say, yeah, he was, he was a class act. And what I was used to love to do with, with Fernando is, is just to get an onboard lap of him and have him commentate yeah. because we all know how, talented these guys are it's not just about driving the thing it's about all of the extra extra additional information that's going on that they that they can tell so you know he would tell you going through a sequence of corners one that springs to mind is is the circuit of the americas you know that that incredible sector one and he's talking about the left hand the yeah the, the out of turn one the right left right left 
right-hander and he's telling you obviously what gear change what the amount of g-forces he's pulling the lateral g-forces but then he's telling you individual tire temperatures uh <laughs> through the sequence of corners and 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 just you know how he's then got to adjust his driving style to make sure that they're not too hot not too cold coming in for the middle sector but yeah just just phenomenal and the other one i remember is um it must have been it was after Brazil and when he got out of the car, he got stranded on the outside of the circuit and he had done, he'd, he'd gone up to the uh, cameraman with the remote control camera. And yeah. I remember he'd been playing with that. And I think we got the footage of that. And then at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I think was the next one, we got him upstairs. And again, you know, there wasn't much to talk about, was there? And we're like, let's let's forget about what's going on on the circuit. And so we yeah. actually gave him the remote control for our little pit camera that we've got downstairs. And we told yeah. him to go and find uh, Mark Norris, who was our little reporter down there. So I don't mean little in that way, but any, although he is. Um, but our, our reporter, <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this, um, our reporter downstairs. And he... he got in really involved in it and he commentated on it and was like perfect you know because there wasn't much to talk about result wise on the track was there no 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 it was just good as i say yeah he um yeah if 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 you, if you give him something just just let him know look there are other things that we can talk about because the audience right they want they want to see him and they want to see him at his best so if him being at his best is is fooling around with a with a joystick and a camera then great you know, because we can get around to the F1 stuff afterwards. It's actually about it's seeing him, seeing his character, and mm. and yeah, quite the character he is. And of course, he's you know he's back with Renault. That's going to be interesting next year. Um, I mean, just quickly, I suppose to wrap up because um, it's, it's amazing how quickly time flies. But and we're going to have to do this again at some other point because there's still lots yeah, to man. talk about. Um, so far this season, I mean, Lewis Hamilton, you got to take your hat off to him, don't you? It's looking like a seventh. I don't think he's going to be um, he's going to be caught. No, not at all. Um, and the thing is, you know, it's a couple of things on that. I think you said earlier on in the year, John, we were working together. You said, look, we're running out of superlatives for this guy. He's just, you know, he, he does get he does get an awful lot of flack. Uh, but fundamentally, what we have here is one of the, mm. if not the all time greatest Formula One drivers. He's blisteringly quick. Everybody knows that. And over a single lap, he's just sensational. But I think what a lot of people forget is this guy, he doesn't make mistakes. Mm. His racecraft is insane. Yes, he is in the best car. And yes, he is one of the finest racing drivers ever. So he does tend to stick it on pole and disappear. So arguably, he's not really being challenged. But we've seen him. We've seen him out of position. Um, where was it this year? Monza, I think this year yeah. where he suffered a penalty he was issued a penalty was he issued a penalty i can't remember john yeah I'm he sure. was yeah he and he had to drop back yeah yeah there was a stop go i think 10 yeah. seconds and yeah that's right he dives into the pit lane didn't he yeah, when that, Charles, that one he yeah, shouldn't have ordered it shot yeah that was it yeah who else did it? Giovanni? Uh, someone else? Giovanazzi? Yeah, yes, or Kimi? One of the? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, there were drivers out of position, but mm. then you see, and I love, I love, 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 love. I don't believe in the reverse grid nonsense, nah. but love it when you've got a fast driver out of position, and an angry Lewis Hamilton is, uh, again, as fast as they've ever, as fast as they've ever been, and yet seven world champions, I think, this year. Obviously, he's just equaled. Michael Schumacher's Schumacher's record of, of 91 victories. There's plenty more in the bag. He's still got a bit of time on his side. He's still, you know, he, I mean, he can get another 
three or four by the end of the year. So it's just, yeah, yeah. We're in a good period, John. We're, yeah. we're seeing, we're witnessing absolute greatness, and he does come in for a lot of flack, and some of it's understandable. But you know what? He's um, he's, he's absolutely still, brilliant. He's doing the job, you know, and that's the thing is that you still got to drive the car. Yeah, but I, yeah, when he was at McLaren and did some work with him, like two thousand eight or was two thousand eight British Grand Prix in the wet. Yeah, Hakey uh, Kovalainen actually was was ahead of him, and uh, he passed Hakey in the same car as though he was stood still, and he won the race by sixty two seconds clear of second place. <laughs> Just phenomenal, just yeah. phenomenal. No, so. absolutely. Um, and that's the thing is that, you know, we've got another season, 2021 coming up. They're going to be in the same cars until 2022. You really can't mm-hmm. see anything changing. And so he's probably got another an eighth title coming next year as well. I would say so, unless, uh, I was just reading today, actually, Christian Horner talking about, the Red Bull, they're um, they're pretty focused on next year. I don't really know what they can do, but there's a few, yeah, there's a few uh, little discrepancies in that car, which they're very confident they can iron out and and take it to this lot. So be good to see. It'd be good to see. So, yeah. but uh, I agree with you. I, th- I can't I can't see under this this regulation cycle. I can't see anyone really getting near Lewis. Certainly his teammate. No, that's right. I think um, he's got the mental edge over Bottas now, isn't he? But, um, yeah. mate, uh, thank you very much. Um, of course, uh, what you can... I mean, you're, you're on Twitter, you're on Insta. I'll uh, I'll bang out those addresses in, in just a moment. But, Chris, mate, thank you very that's much true. for your time. And, we got yeah, we'll definitely have to do that, uh, do this again and uh, and chat um, about more about the MTC and some of the people that you've, uh, you've interacted with and, and no doubt you can dig out a few more stories. Anytime, John. We can also talk about our... Um... Our little competition that we've had going this season for, for podium finishes, top three. Okay, all right. Shall, shall we? Yeah. Shall we? Shall we just like you know tick this off while we're here? So, it's up to you, mate. I so, can so, so on on another show, Chris and I have um, we, uh, we we have to predict who is going to who's going to be on the podium. And, for each race, yeah, uh, yeah, for each race, and uh, more often than not, uh, well, I, I think you're actually leading aren't you? Because I, I was always trying to, and what I'm going to say here, I'm going to cover my butt, is that I'm always trying to pick someone a little bit different from Lewis Hamilton in the hope that it might be an upset. And um, oh, John. <laughs> Chris, no, no. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> legitimately Chris is um, is ahead of me. But the the one thing that really kicked me in the guts last weekend, Chris, was <laughs> most of the times that I will pick a podium, I would have always just for a joke gone, and I'll throw Daniel Ricciardo in as my, my roughie for third. And last weekend, I forgot to do that. And guess who got third? Danny Rick. I didn't choose him, though, but I still won. <laughs> what do you say I'm I think it's 8-3, isn't it? Is it 8-3? Something we like that. To good, a... good to hear from you, Chris. Mate, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you had to get Marshall that in there. You had to get in there, didn't you? You just had to do that. Chris, mate, wow. thank you very much for your time. We'll, uh, we'll do it again another time. Yeah, so that's the Pitbox podcast for another week on Spotify, Apple Music, no matter where you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe, give us a like, stars, whatever it is you've got to do. Uh, Lortz is um, at Twitter. It's at Lortz07 or at KLH Brand Ad on Twitter. And on Insta, it's Mr. Chris Lawton with a K as well. Great to have him on. 
Uh, some funny stories there, and he's met some incredible people, and that's uh, just uh, scratching the surface as far as um, the people that he's had the absolute honour to meet. Uh, of course, James Underhay will be back as well. We've got to preview what's going to happen in Portimao on the weekend of the 24th and 25th, the Portuguese Grand Prix. That's coming up on the next episode of the Pitbox Podcast. Catch you then.